Now stay tuned for Universal Perspectives. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Chris Skyhawk. I'll be your host tonight for Universal Perspectives. At opening song, there was Danny Dollinger with a his song is called "The Ghost of a Chance." Thank you for being with th thank you for being with us tonight. As some of you know, I am doing a a series called "Surviving Late Stage Capitalism." During the series, we are taking a look at these obviously very pressing times that we live in, in transformative times, we're taking a look at what our society or our Earth might look like on the other side of this and how we are handling these changes as they come. Now tonight, we're going to turn our attention very local here. We're going to talk about the housing crisis we have here in Mendocino County and points beyond, but Mendocino County at the moment. My guest is Jerry Mariski. She is a local activist here in Fort Bragg. Let's bring her up, Rich. Oh, I'd like to thank Rich Culberson for being here tonight, engineering. He's shy. He's humbly waving me off, but I appreciate him being here. Okay, do we have Jerry here? Good evening, Jerry. Hi there, Chris, and thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being here. Jerry, maybe you would like to self-introduce yourself. Okay, well, um, basically, I have probably been passionate about community building since my days at Berkeley in the 60s, and during the last um, probably five years, we've been really actively involved, uh, both with the Grassroots Institute, where I'm on the um, Community Land Trust Works team, and also with uh, the Community Land Trust Subcommittee with the Housing Action Team. So the exciting news is that after all this work, and there's so many people that have been working toward our housing solutions, um, we actually have a community land trust finally in place. And I have to say hats off to the Fort Bragg City Council actually made it possible for Sarah McCormick to go ahead with that and get all the legal work in place and uh, make it real. And it, it's a standalone, so it's not tied to the city of Fort Bragg, so it's actually something we can use. Jerry, so I don't know how many people... Jerry, I'm uh, going to interrupt you here for a second. Um, okay. I think people may not know what a community land trust is. Let's explain that to people. And I'll also say that in my preparations with you and the other people who are working on this issue, tonight we are just going to kind of introduce the concept to the community and not really talk about specifics just yet because you guys are still formulating a lot of your plans. So just tell the listeners, what is a community land trust? Okay, well, it's one of the very few proven tools that a community can actually use that's powerful enough for a community to take public ownership and stewardship of their own land and housing. Um, and also because it's long-term, most of them are under 99-year leases, so it basically means that the community has permanent stewardship of land and resources, um, and specifically for the purpose of affordable housing. So it's a 501c3 with a board of directors and under that kind of financial stewardship. And who is the community in this case when we say the community takes ownership of land? Well, when we say community, we really mean that most of the time it is a grassroots 
uprising <laughs> that solves a local housing crisis. And in this case, um, the city of Fort Bragg was very proactive because it, and so having talked to Sarah tonight, she said they are ready to roll it out. Um, so they actually allowed all the legal structure to go in place and yet it be a standalone community land trust that basically the board of directors are drawn from an inclusive and diverse part of the community. So all those voices are represented. And then they begin to have um, the kind of board of directors um, consensus and guidance to steward the funding, um, to steward which properties are purchased, which, um, and how it goes forward. Um, but a lot of it, it is community driven. So that's the exciting part because it does open up lots of different, um, you know, basically it's an umbrella that allows lots of different projects and individual homes. Um, it can expand into larger parcels. Um, there's just a lot of options and possibilities within it. Okay, so let's walk our lis listeners through this a little bit now. Let's say this, there's this board, board of directors is already in place is what you're saying. A portion of it is. A portion of it, okay. So let's say some somewhere along the Mendocino Coast, there comes available some property that's for sale, and people would like to make it into a community land trust. How does it? Mm -hmm. How does that work then? Well, actually, that's a question that Casper and Westport have been pursuing as well. And so, basically, what happens as I talked with Sarah tonight is that. Um, it's an umbrella, and it does allow for the whole county to have projects under that umbrella. So that legal framework basically means that the board of directors, which are drawn from uh, an inclusive range, and it's still growing. She would like to have old people, young people, <laughs> all the people that represent our community interests on board. Um, they basically would be a collaborative voice with whatever community wants to do a parcel um, and guide both the funding and the development, but it would be a collaborative effort. And when, when you say funding, is there, is there, but does funding get provided from the people who would, who would live at the land trust or is there grant funding also? It would probably be a combination. I mean, basically what happens, and we're fortunate right now because the state of California has opened up more funding for community land trusts, and the Chan Zuckerberg Foundation is starting to focus on community land trusts, and then also the community's own grassroots fundraising. Um, but the, you know, the overall fiduciary responsibility does lie with the umbrella major uh, community land trust. So all of it would be coordinated together. Okay. So the, a property guest identified is it is acquired by this community land trust. What happens then? Do people make mixed housing on it? How does that work? Well, you know, right now we're dealing with a lot of county zoning, and one of the things that has happened around the world and across the United States is that what happens is we can have enough grassroots support where the community has a loud enough voice. It does start to change policies about county land use, and that's going to be another critical step as we evolve all this. Because basically every community land trust, when it starts, and this one is just starting up, 
brand new. Um, it's the community that, and the amount of collaborative effort among organizations within the community and the citizens itself and the people who want to create a specific project that actually drive enough voices to start to change some of the policies about how we use parcels. And because housing is so critical, we're starting to have a little bit more flexibility with the county. You know, I'm as I listen to you, Jerry. I'm learning as I am interviewing you. <laughs> I must admit, and uh, it strikes me that this is a radical departure from what we've come become used to in this country, which is the private uh, thing called private property, which is uh, some kind of sacred cow. Everybody talks about private property is also a religious experience or something like that. <laughs> now, community property. Maybe you could talk about. The contrast those differences for us a little bit. What was the difference in this community property versus private property? Well, of course, as Chris just said, private property has become a sacred cow for quite a few centuries at this point. And um, that whole story has pretty much driven part of the market economy. So, you know, we used to have across time um, a commons. You know, there was a time when Communities basically shared land, had equal housing, equal access to grazing and agriculture. And we've had many communities like that across um, eons, actually. So what we're looking at now is how do we shift from our passionate commitment to private property and get back to where we put people in the planet first? I guess that is the conversation. Um, and so what happens in community land trusts, there is a variety of ownership options. In other words, the community land trust owns the land, and that allows for tremendous tax benefits. It allows for favorable treatment under the IRS. It allows for favorable treatment through the state of California on property taxes. So there's a lot of benefits there. Um, for everyone who really needs to have a roof over their head. And you can actually own a home within a community land trust and build equity. Um, the difference is the land does belong to the community land trust in a permanent arrangement for affordable housing. So I don't know if that clears some of it up. Yes, I think so. So let's say, I'll, I'll just pretend that I am a person who has a home on a community land trust. We, we build me and my family an affordable home there. At, at some point, maybe I want to change my life, go somewhere else to live. How does it work then? Can can this person, being me in this case, uh, sell the house? Absolutely. Um, in fact, one of the beauties of the community land trust and one of the ways that they measure success is how many people build their first home equity within a community land trust. And although they're not allowed to take the 49% increase that we saw here on the coast this last year, um, they basically will be within a certain, there's always a certain formula, and Sarah can probably go into that when she, you know, rolls it out next month. But basically, you still have the equity of the home, and you can sell the home. Um, so basically, it would go, it will stay within the community land trust reaching out to future affordability for other families. So I, I'm assuming that the next so-called owner, God, I hate that word, um, is then bound by the rules of the community land trust, even though they have a home with this private within it. 
Right, so you actually have autonomy over your own home and equity. I mean, some land trusts have rentals, some land trusts have multiple family homes, um, but in the beginning, most of them do start up with individual home ownership. Uh-huh. So within this, can you, would you have a certain, uh, uh, how do you mix the ages of people that could be at there? In other words, is there a place for families? Is there a place for seniors? How's that? How's that work in the past and other CLTs? Well, of course, this one is just starting. So our community is really being called to ask to how we want to create it. But basically, in other communities, uh, diversity is actually what you know. Restoring the diversity of community and the power of that is kind of a goal of a community land trust. And one of the beautiful things is it allows elders to age in place much more safely um, without the loneliness and with a lot more support so they're not bankrupted by horrible end-of-life care costs. Um, often there's, for working moms, one of the hardest for working moms is child care. What they often do is um, the larger community interests actually involve child care co-ops um, and working families and the ideal is to mix, um, and of course, one of the biggest things when they build larger projects is that everybody's put through leadership training, communication skills, consensus building, um, just all the tools that allow a community and people to come back together and know how to do that with a lot of fun. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, there's a lot of diversity, and in the larger community land trust, actually, uh, go out of their way to conclude the diversity and make that part of community. I see. So within this context, then, people are free to create social structures that support the needs of their particular community. That's correct. Okay. I, I'm really, really struck by how different this is, what you're laying out here, how different it is as compared to private property, which... You know, I have my thing over here. You have your thing over there. You know, maybe we have a neighborhood potluck every once in a while, but you're talking about something much more in-depth. Well, in fact, one of the things that community land trusts are starting to show around the world and across the nation is that it's not just about, you know, putting land and homes back under public stewardship, but it's also about it really starts to drive. It's a catalyst for systems change. And it does restore the power of a community to, you know, reconnect. I think that's the biggest thing about private property and our fierce individualism, which has been kind of the hallmark of the United States. But when we look back at communities that are really successful, that equality of heart, you know, that connects people deeply to one another and moves beyond the barriers of politics and all the divisive stuff that goes on, so community land trust, one of the beauties of them is that by providing tools to bring the community together and put a roof over everybody's head, um, everybody gets empowered to participate, and that's pretty powerful. Mm. Yes, I'm, I continue to be very struck by this. It seems like a real opportunity for people to come together and define their common destiny as a community. 
that is the power of it. And that, I guess that's why I really, like a lot of us, we'd probably rather be out in our gardens just tending, tending our vegetables. But right now, we are really in a year where if we don't act as a community, we're really losing ground very fast. And this community is just way too special to see it get robbed of its future. And especially our young people, our elders, our working families. Um, these are who we're fighting for, and you know, and they're the very ones that ideally will come together to help this happen in a powerful way. Yes, I was just telling Rich on the way over here when we were coming to the studio tonight. Many people know, probably know, but I used to be on the board of directors of the Albion Little River Fire Protection District, and mm -hmm. there were so many times over the years we get these young people strapping healthy young men and young women. They come in, they want to volunteer for the fire district. So we spend all kinds of money to get them trained up and get them in the right program so they can they can have the skills to go out and do you know, they want to pull people from burning buildings and get people out of car wrecks. And, you know, we spend a lot of money training train these people up and they're they're the exact type of young people you'd want to build your community around. And then the owner of the house decides, oh, I'd rather have an Airbnb. I can make a lot of money. The market's up. Then these people, mm -hmm. these young people, after getting all this investment in the community and the public dollars, they have to go. They leave because they can't mm -hmm. find a place to live in the district. And I'm not, I'm, I know Albion Little River is far from the only district that has that trouble. Well, I think, you know, I'm going to bring up that, you know, the Housing Action Team recently, and hats off to the Housing Action Team and Dan Jurdy, they recently completed um, a housing survey to all our employees and our in employers. And we all knew this anecdotally, but our employers, our hospitals, our schools, um, all our major businesses are having a really rough time recruiting and keeping employees because the housing situation is so unbelievably bad and it's starting to really if you know i watched almost six seniors a week get kicked out of their long-term rentals over airbnbs i watch young people who are some of our best contributors to our future have the houses you know that they're renting sold out from under them and one of the biggest drivers of unfortunately of this airbnb takeover is that hedge funds wall street hedge funds and their subsidiaries are moving across not just the Airbnb landscape to scoop up everything, but they're becoming one of the major landlords across the United States. So if we as a community um, don't rise up at this point and make some really decisive grassroots action, we're losing our land so fast and our future because you know, we're losing our young people, we're losing our working families, and we're, we don't have the ability to attract good talent into the community anymore because there's no place to live, like you said. Yes, I was wondering if you would, you mentioned the Grassroots Institute at the beginning of our interview tonight before we lost you on the phone. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about how GRI is interacting with this issue. Well, you know, the Grassroots Institute has been working hard toward a common good economy for a long time. In other words, an economy gathers all the skills and resources of our community and starts to transition to a local community that actually benefits the community and not puts all our dollars off in another 
well, as you said, <laughs> we're at the end of capitalism and what it's done to us. So we really need to be creative at this point. Uh, so the Grassroots Institute, in addition to the common good economy work, for the last two years there have been work groups. And, of course, I'm part of the Community Land Trust work group. Um, but basically all the work groups, we all interact as one organization. And so last night we had our monthly meeting, and everyone's tackling really tough stuff. George Reinhardt, um, who had similar problems with his <laughs> computer connection for all of us, um, He's been working on what the skunk train takeover of our coastline, and others are working on the climate change through all kinds of initiatives through solar and other things. Um, one of the critical issues, I mean, here we've had a community, a city council on Fort Bragg that's been totally proactive about everything, a really amazing local group. And that's why this upcoming election, finding one of the groups is working to find qualified people to run for our, the Fort Bragg City Council, because it just doesn't affect Fort Bragg, it affects everyone. But you do have to be a resident of Fort Bragg to um, to run for council, but that's another huge thing that the grassroots is working on. And all of it is very collaborative. They basically, all of us reach out into the community to find the other organizations that can collaborate with everyone on these issues because they're not just one organization. We really need to act as a whole community. Jerry, where uh, where else in this in this, in our country and in the, in the world has this model been tried? You mean the, the community land trust? Yes, CLTs. Yes. Okay. Well, basically, we have. Um, I forgot how many across California, but the California network is is growing because of all the um, state funding and because of the focus on it. But across the United States, we have over 300. And you have to remember that number may sound small, but most of them are huge umbrellas that, you know, steward lots of public lands and lots of projects and properties. Um, it includes things like um, co-ops, starting up co-ops, um, agricultural trusts, all of it. So around the world, um, London, which was facing a similar problem, in the last 20 years, they've developed, and England has developed over 300 and something land trusts. Um, Belgium, France, Puerto Rico, South America. I mean, these are, because this is the one tool that gives you legal owner, public ownership, and it's one of the few tools that does that. Um, so it, it's one of the few things that legally places you in a system where you have some power. So it's becoming like the major tool around the world. Um, and I just recently attended uh, by Global Zoom, um, and thank God it was working. <laughs> there was uh, there were people from around the world speaking, and just some of the really interesting questions they asked in the final session was, you know, how did you get started, and what was your? And they asked the different leaders, what was your role, and um, what do you think? actually makes a successful land trust. And these are all successful land trusts that are now really um, expanding and expanding, expanding, and serving as uh, startup hubs for other land trusts. So, you know, that whole body of stuff is on a lot of Internet sites, which I can lead all of you to uh, in well, the future. Let's be sure that we give people those resources at the end of our interview so they can continue to do their own research on this subject. I guess mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to ask you, 
how does it work? Let's go to the mundane world of regula regulation and taxation. Now, how does it how does it work if it's a community land trust? Obviously, the county or the other government agencies will want to get their property taxes and, so, and things like that. So, is that is that is that just the way? Does it still work in a normal way in terms of these things? Environment, environment, environment regulations also. Well, that's probably going to be a better question to go to. Um, we may be getting a national next month. We may be lucky enough to land the national direct one of the national directors of community land trust, and she can get into the really nitty gritty because it does. You know, it depends on the structure and how each property is structured within the land trust. So that's probably, you know, um, a little bit over my head at the moment. Okay, <laughs> but, yeah, I promise you uh, I wouldn't ask you any questions and push you too far. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically the city set it up so that, you know, the people who qualify for it are at 120% of the area's median income, median income. And so one of the things I do want to bring up is so many people object to the, the thought of community land trust being a place for low-income housing. But, you know, one of the subcommittees in our county came up with the, the bottom line is that a, a basic buy-in fixer-upper in Mendocino County, far less on the coast, is about $500,000, just basic. And to qualify for that, you have to be making 80000 a year, and you have to have 20% down for a bank loan. Uh -huh. Now, a county employee makes about 57000 a year with benefits and retirement. But he's already, or he or she, is already not able to qualify for a basic buy-in home in the county. And when most of our people who are called our heroes that work in all our service sectors, most of them are on minimum wage with no benefits and working three jobs. And so... This is what's definitely got to change because it means our young people, our elders, and our working families are pretty much totally denied any access to stable, permanent housing. I also, I also love the idea that you mentioned a while ago about child care and what a barrier that is for so many people, working class people, the child care situation. And I love the idea of if you have a mixed age group on these places, that you have you have the elders there who could take care of the kids while you go to work. Well, this is it. You know, to me, reestablishing community, you know, when we get past this isolated private property business and the terrific cost it's costing elders as they reach their retirement age, they're looking at horrific end-of-life care. And our single moms are just, you know, totally stressed trying to cover child care costs while they're working. And on top of that, you know, you have just the, the loneliness, the isolation, and the unnecessary stress. But when you put a community back together, the deep connections that are made, and, you know, and so instead of, you know, you start to have trust and you start to know people, and young people going through college could be, you know, living in with an elder, and those kind of relationships are really powerful. Um, so all the relationships that are created just put our real community back together. And that excites me the most, I think. Mm. Yes, and I'm getting more and more excited as we have this conversation. One of the things that occurred to me as you were talking is how many, we also, we also privatize our dysfunctions. 
a lot of people say, oh, I'm so depressed, you know, they, a lot of people have feelings of worthlessness and disconnection, but they turn that into a personal, like there's something wrong with me, rather than, rather than this living situation is not, is not healthy for human beings. So they go to their psychologist and the, the doctor says, oh, take these antidepressants and but maybe what's wrong is what is just the way that we have set up our society. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the you know in the final event of that global community, one of the beautiful pieces was that um, they they emphasized Martin Luther King and his dream of how we all come back together and really move back into our heart-centered caring about one another, and that when you build a real community together, you know, you stop talking politics. You start talking about your kids and your grandkids. You talk about your garden. You talk about favorite stories and memories. And I really think that the ability of our community to start telling itself a new story about who we are, I think that's where the real power of a community land trust is going to lie. Mm hmm and probably another piece I want to bring up is that one of the best sales <laughs> things for Community Land Trust, along with all the other powerful things it does, is, you know, members of Community Land Trust come forward and say what a profound difference it made in their lives to be in a Community Land Trust community. And um, they said, first of all, you know, when you can develop equity and stability, you have the stability to start saving for your children's future. You have suddenly the money and time to go to college. You're not working three jobs anymore. And you also have the energy, you know, and I think to contribute to the community. And I think this is one of the powerful things is when you think of all the people who are stressing over high rents and low wages who suddenly would have affordable housing in a community-supportive context. All that innate creativity goes back into our community rather than getting lost in stress. <laughs> so um, that's another exciting piece for me. Yes, they probably would not consider their depression to be a personal experience so much as a collective one at that point. In fact, you know, a lot of the people who rise to the head of, of land trusts across the United States Many of them started off in homelessness that came about either because of, you know, job loss, illness. You know, we often paint a picture of homelessness in a very negative way, but, you know, it's interesting. It wasn't up until the Reagan era that, era that we even had homelessness at any degree. And now homelessness is becoming, unfortunately, with this post-COVID eviction level, our whole country is about to be plunged into a very... <laughs> very challenging scenario. So the other thing about community land trusts, if they can get in place and grow with grassroots support, is we need to have a much bigger safety net for all half of our nation to land. Yes, I will throw in here that I know we're talking about specifically Mendocino County issues, but <clears throat> when I travel down to the Bay Area now these days, I'm just shocked the tent cities under the tent cities that are under the bridges and along the sidewalks, it's, it's shocking. It's just shocking. 
Yeah, and that's one of the things they brought up in that final event of the Community Land Trust Global Celebration was that, you know, when we move back into our hearts, it's absolutely impossible to allow this kind of treatment of our fellow human beings. I think we all know that it's not necessary and that we do have solutions and that we have the power to start creating those solutions. So um, I think the more we get exposed to possibility, um, I just read a book that just got me really excited. It was called The Dawn of Everything, and it's a new history of humanity by David Graeber, who, of course, was one of the founders of the Occupy movement. And he talks about the, the new archaeological uh, research that's really showing that we, across time, have had amazing uh, communities that were totally equal in the sense that all the houses looked very similar. They all had similar levels of diets. In other words, the community was functioning in a total shared way where everyone was getting what they needed. And so we have inside of us the capacity to put that back together again. Yes, and this is one of the reasons why I really, as my introductory song for the series, using that song from Danny Dollinger, it's called The Ghost of a Chance, because I like to use that because I feel like if we, you talked about the heart just a moment ago, and if we find that little corner in our hearts that believes what you're, what you're talking about here, building this community. You know, we have so many obstacles in our way, but if we dip into our hearts, there's always a ghost of a chance that we could pull it off. We don't have to live with people living under bridges and along sidewalks and tents. We don't have to. Well, and it's, you know, it is, it's that our spiritual will as well as our political will, and I think the two are deeply tied, that when we are really connected to heart, we have the courage, which is the word of the heart, <laughs> to get together and do the things we have to do. I always love the Peace Pilgrim, because she always said that when you realize your body is just a temporary thing and you can shed that garment at any time, you suddenly have the courage to move beyond your ego and do all the things that it takes to make the changes we need to make. And a book I've just been reading, too, over and over again, I read her quite frequently because I pull her out whenever I start to get discouraged. But I don't know how many people have read beautiful Rebecca Solnit's Hope in the Dark. Um, it's really about the... It's written for activists who are in burnout. <laughs> she talks about the fact that, you know, the, the overwhelming media wants you to believe you're powerless, you're never going to get anywhere, you're going to get put down, it's not going to work. But that's her dialogue, and we don't have to accept that dialogue. She goes on amazing things I've accomplished so far, and how many amazing things we still have to accomplish uh, against odds that don't look overwhelming. But people keep and I, I wonder our hope I wonder if part of the issue is that we become tolerant of these things and we need to not be tolerant of them. I'll just I'll just give a little anecdote here. I was telling this Rich on the way over here and I think maybe I've told you this story, Jared, because we're friends outside this radio interview also. I I was scooting around in my scooter the other day. And around Fort Bragg here, which I have to ride because I can't walk because of my stroke. And there was this man at Safeway parking lot. He had this little girl with him. 
it, it was pretty clear it was his daughter, and they had a sign out. Uh, they they needed they needed support, and they were looking for food to hand out. And I was I was really struck by the father. He was a wonderful man. He made his daughter. She was having a good time with her dad, even though they were out there begging for food. And so I, I approached him. I took my scooter across the street and I dug it to my wallet. Came up with a few bucks, and he he lit up. We looked into each other's eyes. I could feel his pain as a father myself. I was thinking, my gosh, could I could I have the kind of courage if I was in his parking lot with my daughters? This man obviously has. And so I gave him a few dollars. The, the daughter, she was very she very lit up. She was excited, and I just went on my way. Mm -hmm. Just down the street, just down the street, Franklin, there's a house for sale for Mendo Sotheby's, which is an international real estate thing. It used to be Mendo Realty, right? Now it's international. Realty. Right. And there's a house there. It's a one-bedroom house. And so I went home. I'm, I looked at my computer and looked up $650,000 is the asking price. Right. Jerry, <laughs> my heart broke. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I just broke. Thinking this man yeah. here is begging money. Begging money for his family in the parking lot of Safeway, just down the road. Somebody's walking around with six hundred fifty grand. They're going to buy that house. Mm -hmm. And I thought, how could we live in this world like that? How can we do that? How can we do that? We can't put up with that. We can't tolerate that. Mm -hmm. We just can't. For all the reasons, I all the rest of us have to keep working on this. Is that? We really want to see every child grow up in a safe and beautiful community. Can you imagine children growing up with a community garden and neighbors talking to each other and a grandmother stepping in to watch the child that The way our communities used to be, and when we look at food security, most community land trusts are usually centered around gardens. <laughs> and so, you know, um, what we want for every child is exactly that. And we need it for their parents so that parents can actually be parents again instead of two stressed out adults. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, because basically our housing impacts everything else. You know, just as an interesting piece, when Healthy Mendocino went out to, to explore their priorities before COVID, um, they went into every community. And, you know, these communities are beset by domestic violence and alcohol abuse and drug abuse and and unemployment and, uh, you know, endless list of things. But when they asked every single resident in every community what was the biggest need, and the number one thing was we need a safe, affordable roof over our head because that impacts everything else. So yeah, that's it's, why we're, it is we're very, all on this. <laughs> it's very difficult to be a good mother or father when you're not sure if you're going to be able to keep your family in this house. Yeah. So, Jerry. And so, you know, as we, as we look at the constant displacement by our Airbnbs, and basically, you know, they're, the Sotheby's of the world and all the big hedge funds are using many subsidiary outcomes to scoop up housing. They're becoming the biggest landlord of the United States. So, we basically, to me, this year is the year we really need to act if we're not going to lose this precious place and especially our future. Jerry, I can't believe that we're almost at 8 o'clock hour, but I would like to, we promised the listeners that, that you would provide them with the resources if they want to do more of their own research. 
So could we take a few minutes and have you do that for us? Okay, so uh, you know, just basically, um, one of the beautiful sites is it's called um, the center. Um, it's the Center for Community Land Trust Innovation, and they are uh, basically a global organization. And then we also have the community, uh, the California Community Land Trust Network. And another great site is communitywealth.org. Can, can you say those three things again, Jared, just in case people are reaching for their pencils? Right. <laughs> okay. One is the, um, the Center for Community Land Trust Innovation, which is an international organization. The other is the California Community Land Trust Network. Another great site for many things is communitywealth.org. Okay, Jerry, let's give you a moment if you want to make any closing statement here. Please do. Okay, well, a quick one is that, you know, I went from UC Berkeley into Athens, Georgia during the Civil Rights Movement, which was culture shock beyond all culture shock. And the reason I bring up Athens, Georgia, is it has one of the best models I've ever seen, and they pulled that off in a community where I would never dream they could pull it off. So if Athens, Georgia can pull off an incredible broad-based community land trust um, with organic farms, internships, conservation, education, leadership training, and all of it, <laughs> our community should be able to really be, you know, stellar stars in the community land trust development work. Okay. I think we're going to leave it there, Jerry. I'd like to thank you for being with us. And, of course, this time slot is available as the organization proceeds on the coast. I will make the time available for to continue this, this discussion. Okay. Well, we need these conversations to go on and on and on for sure. Thank you, Chris. Yes, and we should be very thankful, of course, to KZYX for providing such service to the community as we can use this time on this and other issues to bring the community together. Okay, let's go out the closing song. Rich, I'd like to thank everybody for being with us tonight. Again, thanks to Rich for being here for engineering, and I hope you got some good information out of this show tonight. Thank you, Jerry Mariski, for being with us. And we will continue to follow this very closely, Community Land Trust. Thanks again. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.